Hi everyone and welcome to a, another podcast from Firms Consulting. So uh, up front I'll state that this is going to be a very interesting podcast, certainly one of the more interesting podcasts we've put out, so it's kind of important. And um, it is linked to the consulting offer, but particularly around the kind of reading you need to do to supplement your business judgment and general knowledge so that you can reach the level of what I think Felix has. You know, Felix has extraordinarily high business judgment and she just improved that through very targeted reading. Now, we've, in the consulting offer, we, we, we list the items that need to be read and this podcast is going to talk through a strategy for reading as a po- and analyzing what you read versus simply listing what you're going to read, right? And the the thinking about this comes from a discussion that I had with a client a few hours ago, right? So we have a client in Central Asia, a very senior executive at one of the largest state-owned enterprises, going through a fairly, I would think, traumatic part of his career as he leads the business through fairly wrenching changes. And we were discussing strategy. And I was talking to him about PR strategy. And as I was discussing this with him, and this happened at three in the morning, so it's now nine o'clock, right? As I was discussing this with him, I realized that what I was telling him is something many people don't understand about how they can critique what they are reading because they don't understand the strategy that sits behind what's being published, right? We're talking about two things, about PR strategies and about bolstering his credibility, and I'll talk very briefly about what we recommended him to do and how this links to how you need to critique publications. The first PR strategy we came up with is that just to roll out tons of press releases and feedback into the media because the media has no choice but to publish it. It's a very important strategy. Media's job is to publish what is being said by the newsmakers and their job is not to give their opinion on the news, but to report it, right? Now, media can obviously choose to present one side of the story or another side, but more or less, if you get out your story through multiple outlets, no matter where the media goes for a quote, they're going to get your quote, and they have to publish it even if they disagree with it, right? That's a very important thing to understand about the media. The job is to produce the facts, and the strategy for him was very simple. Get your message out to as many outlets as you can, so that irrespective of where the media goes for a quote, it's going to be hearing your side of the story, and they have to publish it. That's what the job of a media is. The second thing about bolstering is credibility. I said, you know what? People don't really know you that well. No Vogue cover stories, anything like that, unless you want to look like Marissa Mayer, and you probably won't because she's a lot more attractive than you are. Um, You know, Get yourself into the Harvard Business Review. It's not really difficult to do that. You know, these days everyone gets themselves into the Harvard Business Review, and that's the tragedy of that really great publication. It's so easy to get published. There's two ways to do it get someone to write about you, which is ridiculously simple these days, either blog posting or get someone to do a case study about your organization, or you write the publication, or you write something, right? Easy to do. Now, you may be, you know, thinking, oh, how can Michael say it's easy to get into the Harvard Business Review? It's the Harvard Business Review. Now, if you're thinking that, and you've never been published in the Harvard Business Review, you probably think it's hard to be published in the Harvard Business Review, but it's not difficult. There are multiple ways to get published. Pretty easy, especially at his level. But even if you're not at his level, it's still easy to get published, right? Because you can either be the writer or you can be the subject of someone who's writing. And a lot of people who claim to be published in the Harvard Business Review are actually the subject 
of some ridiculous article that was written and they just made up, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? A nominal appearance. On the other hand, you can be the subject of a you know brutally vilifying case study, but you were still published in the Harvard Business Review. So the point is there are many ways to bolster his credibility, and we were discussing that. Now, as I was having this discussion with him, I realized that a lot of our clients don't know how to critique and analyze what they're reading. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you a strategy for critiquing and analyzing what you are published, what you are reading. Right. The first thing you have to understand is that you can draw almost a an axis here. You can draw a two by two matrix. On the one axis you've got facts and facts are split into two parts. On the one extreme you've got facts that are public and facts that are not public. I'll give you examples of this and on the uh, x-axis maybe you've got your opinion and on one extreme you've got opinion that is credible and well written and on the other axis not credible and not well written. Right? Maybe just we can have credibility. I think we can we can put it out there. Now you've got facts versus opinions. Now let's let's plot some publications in here and see what happens. And because it's important to understand this, facts that are public and are credible, you could put the New York Times up there. You could put the Wall Street Journal. Um, those are big, well-known international publications. You could put the BBC up there. I'm just naming a few. There are many more that fit here, right? These publications' job are to publish the facts. It's very important for you to understand that. Their job is not to present an opinion on those facts. Now, when they when they have someone like a Nobel Prize, like Joseph Stiglitz, Paul Krugman, giving their views, it's called an opinion. If you go to the New York Times website and look at the top right corner, it's called opinion pages, even within the Wall Street Journal, opinion pages. Now, we always confuse what's fact and what's opinion. If you have the most credible person in the world talking about his interpretation of the most credible data, it is still opinion. This is super important you understand this, because a lot of times we take opinions and we spout it as facts. A fact is only something that is reported in real time. It may be reported a little bit of a delay, but it must be reported without anyone's interpretation of that, right? Any time where you add a level of interpretation, you are relying on the credibility of that person who's doing the interpretation. And no matter how credible they are, it is their opinion that is biasing that interpretation. No. So coming back to our two by two matrix, right? You've got facts on, I've got it on my y-axis. You've got opinion on the x-axis, right? Anything on the top right corner, right? High in facts, high in opinion would probably be in the New York Times opinion section. Now, now let's just think about this. Think of some other very famous publications that are high in facts, high in opinion here, right? The McKinsey Quarterly would actually fit this category very well. So the McKinsey Quarterly is a little bit different. High in opinion because you've got the McKinsey partners and consultants interpreting things, but at the bottom end. So it's on the lower right quadrant because the facts are not public. McKinsey doesn't make its databases available saying, okay, this is how we constructed the database. You can replicate it. It's a closed database. So McKinsey is high on non-public facts very high on opinion, right? 
the the Harvard Business Review, to to many extents, is the same is the same way, right? You know, you got these writers telling you they've analyzed ten thousand companies. I don't know how you analyze ten thousand companies. Well, I struggle to analyze one company as a partner over four months of intense work working with that company, but apparently they've analyzed 10,000 companies in just one year, and they've figured out some secrets of the universe that we couldn't figure out from one company. But anyway, so you've got the author who's bringing in his biases, opinion. You've got some facts on which he's basing it on. But the problem with these kind of things that fit in the lower right quadrant is that we are very very dependent upon the credibility of who's writing it and unfortunately when you depend on the credibility of whoever is writing it it's open to abuse and these things are abused you know exhaustively now now let's stick here let, let, let's stick to discussing things in this lower right quadrant what is the strategy for people publishing in this lower right quadrant it's a very simple strategy. It's a strategy of gaining credibility. How do they do that? Well, a typical strategy for someone who wants to publish in the lower right category is to what I call throw in or drop in accomplishments. They will say something like, I worked at McKinsey. I worked at BCG. I went to Harvard. I was CEO of this place. I did this. I did that. People who sit on that lower quadrant rely on that merry-go-round of credentials to prove to you that they are worth listening to you. Now, you got to be super careful here. It is human nature to look at the merry-go-round of credentials and say, oh my God, this person worked at McKinsey, this person worked at BCG, this person was in the Reagan administration, this person was in the Clinton administration, this person appeared in the Wall Street Journal, this person appeared in the Harvard Business Review, they must be intelligent. Now, it is the dumbest thing in the world to do that. There are plenty of pretty stupid people who appear in the Harvard Business Review, the Wall Street Journal, and even become President of the United States. Right? Do not rely on those things to determine the worth of the article. You know, I've always I've always believed that the New York Times and the Economist have a very good strategy for not putting the name of the author, the New York Times on the opinion pages and the Economist for any of their publications. So you're not saying, oh, this is written by XYZ, it must be intelligent. No, this you're gonna have to measure the article based on what is being said in the content. Now, things in this lower right quadrant are, I think, open for abuse and they are generally abused, right? You have no way of knowing it's right because what will happen is that companies that publish here will, will try to throw in as many credentials as they possibly can to make you believe it makes sense. So I'd be very skeptical of reading things there. So even when I read the McKinsey Quarterly, I read the BCG Perspectives, I read the Harvard Business Review, I read a lot less of the Harvard Business Review than I used to because I really don't like this idea of letting everyone and their grandmother publish a blog post. You know, it kind of demeans the quality of of being published. I also don't think the fact-checking is that great. So a lot of issues there. But be very be super careful. When you're reading things that belong on the top right quadrant, facts, and uh, public facts, uh, and credible opinion. Also, be careful. You know, just because Paul Krugman says something, I have nothing against the guy, but just because he says something doesn't mean it's right. On the other hand, who, who would be his major adversaries? The w people who believe in the free market system. You know, um, 
Friedman's group. So just because someone, Friedman's not dead, but you know, just assuming someone who in who is in his camp at the University of Chicago wrote something and was a Nobel Prize winner, you still need to be skeptical about this, because it's someone's opinion, right? That's analyzing facts. There's a difference between facts and someone's opinion analyzing facts. Now let's look at the at the left-hand side of the quadrant, right? You've got public facts with poor credibility. Now, public facts being analyzed with someone with poor credibility, you're going to ask yourself, why does this person have poor credibility in the first place? But a lot of times, given the noise in the media, there's just so many things being published. Everyone has a blog these days. Everyone is writing their opinion. And it's just amazing that everyone thinks their opinion means something. It's very difficult to sift out what makes sense. And what we do is we rely on aggregators like the New York Times. We rely on aggregators like our friends on Facebook recommending things. And we rely on the credibility of our friends to tell us what makes sense. I'd be very careful there and read something for its merit. So when something sits on the left-hand corner, it's either non-public facts or public facts with very weak opinion attached to it. So you have to be super careful, right? Now, that's one way to analyze publications. Another way to analyze it is a very simple two-by-two two matrix again, like versus dislike. Do you know how many people only read things that support what they are thinking? It's shocking, actually. We've, human nature is to first like something and then choose the facts to support that. Like, I mean, that's how we get married, right? Think about it, right? Do you, know, do you notice that every, every person will tell you they're looking for skin-deep beauty. But obviously they first saw the person and decided that they want to find out what the skin-deep beauty is, right? So first impressions do matter. It's the same thing with life. You first choose a, a, a point you want to make, and then you'll look for the facts. Now, you have to be super careful about this. You must know where you lean and always read the opposing viewpoint. You have nothing to lose here. If, you, what, you, if what you believe is true, the opposing viewpoint couldn't sway your thinking. If what you believe is false, then by reading the opposing viewpoint, you have everything to gain. Now, uh, you know, we are we're Canadian, right? You know, I always tell people that, how do you know someone's a Canadian? Well, if their son comes up and says, Dad, I'm a cross-dresser, the Canadian father is going to be, wow, son, I'm so proud. And if the son says, well, I'm going to buy some lipstick, well, the father is going to say, well, I'm going to take you to Costco and get you the cheapest one, right? That's a Canadian, you know, liberally, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, right? That's a Canadian. That's, if you want to know a Canadian, that's the definition of a Canadian, right? Now, the point here I'm trying to make is that as a Canadian, we read very liberal newspapers. I mean, New York Times, hell, we probably, you know, sleep in the New York Times past issues. But the point is this. Because we, I know I'm a liberal, you have to be very careful about not just reading liberal causes, right? You, you can't do that. You have to balance it with conservative viewpoints. And, you know, I always read the Wall Street Journal because it's a, it's a conservative newspaper. If you read the New York Times, they have brilliant writers like Krugman and so on. They have very gifted writers, right? Malcolm Gladwell also, to some extent, does writing here, although more The New Yorker. But the point is, they come up with these eloquent arguments explaining why we need to be liberals. Then you go to the Wall Street Journal. And you read something written by, uh, you know, Hubbard and so on, right? 
And they have these equally eloquent arguments explaining why we need to be fiscally conservative. But the question is, who's right? The point is they're both right. It depends on it depends on what you believe, because at the end of the day, no one knows what works and what doesn't work. I mean, f on social values, both po sides are right. It depends on which side you want to belong to. And they're not opposing sides. There's room enough for everyone here. When it comes to fiscal issues which dominate the news today, both parties are right. They're both right because we don't know what actually works. I mean, there are times when being fiscally conservative works. There are times when being fiscally not so conservative works. Both, both sides are right, but you have to read both sides. Do not fall into the trap of reading only one side. It's so easy for people to say, hey, this paper doesn't make sense. It's, what it's saying doesn't make any sense because this person says it, because you want to believe it. So I would say that, you know, plot a two by two matrix. Do not only read things you like, read things you dislike. So you want to be on the top right corner. You're reading things you like and dislike. And, and I will always tell people that, I, I'll tell you what I read. I read the New York Times, I read the Washington Post. Uh, I used to read the Washington Post. I think the quality of writing has dropped. The Wall Street Journal, um, Bloomberg. I read Russia Today, Al Jazeera, and I read to some extent the BBC. It's not a big. Um, it's not that important for me. Um, I read Vogue, and I read the New Yorker, and I read the Verge for technology publications. So I'm getting a wide views there. It's not fiscal is not being conservative versus being liberal. I'm also making sure I don't just get the American viewpoint. You know, we're Canada, the 51st state of the United States, and we, we get everything the Americans are publishing. We get it in truckloads. Everything the Americans don't want to read, they just dump it on Canada's door, and we've got to read it. My point is, it's not just fiscally conservative, fiscally liberal. You also have to make sure that geographically you're not being swayed by one or two opinions. So this idea of reading widely is important. So the first matrix about fact versus opinion, public, non-public fact, opinion, which is credible, non-credible, helps you deduce what you are, have chosen to read. This next matrix about like and dislike, make sure you are reading a wide variety. Don't just critically evaluate things that are liberal conservative because then you are critically valuing liberal things and you're automatically going to be a liberal right you want to definitely ex you know expand your viewpoint one of the things that really annoys people about me is that they can't pin me down in a debate if someone starts off a debate about being i don't know about how liberalism is the best thing in the world i automatically take the opposing viewpoint about how they're wrong and i think conservative being conservative is the best thing in the world so people don't like that about me because they say i flip-flop but i i don't flip-flop because I don't have a point, I flip-flop because I want to see if you have a point, and I want to see if you can actually defend what you are saying. Um, and I'm not doing this because um, I, I just like debating with people, but I do think it's important to challenge your own thinking. And the best way to challenge your thinking is not to challenge yourself, but to challenge someone else and see whether they'll raise a good argument. If someone raises a good argument, I'll go with that. And sometimes people raise great arguments, and I say, well, I never really thought of that. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. So we need to think about that. Now, the other thing about reading, right? So who do you read? I remember one of my students gave me access to her Hotmail account to see what she was reading. She said, Michael, can you tell me if I'm reading, what I'm reading makes sense? And I was a little bit annoyed with her. She was reading things like five ways to increase productivity, some tips that were mailed to her, 10 ways to be an effective communicator, six ways to be a 
to dress for success. Anything that has six ways, ten ways, five ways to do something is written for dull people who don't have the time to read things. The first rule of success is to listen to intelligent people. Right? Now, I know that LinkedIn has gone into this huge overdrive to be a media company and publishing this kind of drivel. I'd be very careful of that. Um, you've got to read articles in depth because and you have to listen to this very carefully. Let's assume I'm reading something that Marissa Mayer wrote. I like Marissa Mayer. I think she's a very gifted leader and you know technologist. So I like reading what is written about her. But I don't like reading stories that say six things Marissa Mayer does to be a brilliant leader. I'm not going to read that because this is this is a very important insight. You don't want to listen to what someone else says about Marissa Mayer. You don't want to listen. Uh, you don't want to listen to what you don't even want to listen to what Marissa Mayer is saying about the six things she does to be intelligent. You want to listen to the thought process and the learning process that Marissa Mayer went through to develop the insights to be able to identify the six things. And this is super critical. Don't just read the six things to be a successful person. You want to understand how did that person develop the thought process to come up with this list in the first place. If you just take the six things and apply it blindly, you haven't developed critical reasoning. Now, there's an entire global market. The world's biggest con job is this massive, massive business market of the 10 things to be a great leader, the five things to be this. And everyone's writing it. It's, it's the world's biggest market. Everyone's doing it, right? Thankfully, I'm not doing it. And I'll touch wood that firms consulting will never go down that path, right? We're not going to be doing those things. We want to get behind the scenes and break up the thinking that goes into being into developing the ability to know what's a priority. Just hearing what someone else's priority doesn't mean you're going to be the success. No, you can list, you can do fifteen thousand things that Warren Buffett does. How he arranges his socks at night, how he prioritizes a publication that doesn't make you Warren Buffett, because the process isn't linear. You have to understand the thought process, and that's a bit messy. That sits in the background, but we don't want that. The problem we have here is that you get what you ask for. If you go and click on six ways to be an effective dresser like Marissa Mayer, you're never going to understand the psychology that Marissa Mayer applies to arriving at those six things, right? And that's what you need to understand. Now, if you click on these articles, well, the you know media and algorithms self-select and they give you more of this drivel. So what you need to do is you have to you have to fight the urge to expose yourself to things that are not useful. Sound bites don't create great people. Yeah, sure, some people become that way because they heard a soundbite, but don't let one outlier, you know, um, uh, become a norm. And certainly, even if you could become successful that way, that's good. But you could be even more successful if you understood the underlying mechanics, right? So I would say be very careful about who you follow. Even if you're following Barack Obama and he's got, I'm sure, wonderful things to say about how he, you know, runs the country. I don't want to listen to his sound bites. I want to understand the thought process that sits behind it. And the thing is, you need to be less lazy to do that because it's hard work. You have to read more, process more. No one's going to do the processing for you. As soon as 
you listen to or read the six things that Steve Jobs did to design Apple products, you are listening to someone else's interpretation. Automatically it becomes opinion. It's either high quality opinion or low quality opinion. Usually any opinion is low quality because people who give you their opinion always leave out their biases. Now I'm telling you up front, I'm a liberal when it comes to social issues, fiscally conservative. So you need to know that when you take my advice. But we automatically do not give advice on economic issues or social issues because we know we cannot remove our bias from that. Now, hopefully you find this podcast interesting, but I think it's super important when you read things, you understand the way you're being manipulated when you read things. Every publication is doing it. Choosing to publish an article or choosing not to publish an article. Choosing to use a certain word to describe something or not use a certain word to describe something. Choosing to go to one source for a quote versus another source for a quote because one source is more favorable towards what the reporter wants to write, another one is less favorable. That's the way you got to think things through. It's not easy to do it, but it's important that you keep that at the back of your head. As always, I'll be more than happy to uh, provide any um, feedback and provide more explanations on what we discussed here. Thank you.